This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. The six paramitas, um, in a way, they reflect part of the rhythm of meditation. The first three paramitas are generosity, um, discipline, ethics, uh, and uh, patience. So those. And we can think of them as the foundational qualities that then support the second three, which are energy, abiding in presence, and insight or wisdom. Yeah. You know, in the Vipassana school, uh, practitioners are called yogis. It's interesting, somehow in the Vipassana school they're called yogis and in the Zen school they're called students. Um, but a way Sashin is a yogic endeavor, you know, where um, how do we yoke? Uh, how do we join together all the ways our mind can be fractured, our awareness can break into uh, distraction, preoccupation, agitation, yearning. How do we make it whole? And in a way, the perfections, it's, you know, that there's a way the word means like wholesome or to become whole. In some ways, it's a, it's a more appropriate notion than you should be the ideal being. You should be perfect. And certainly in the Zen school, there, there is a mysterious quality to practice. You know, that question I was suggesting, you know, well, if it worked out perfectly, if it was ideal, what would it be? You know? Well, as, as we enter into Shashin, we discover um, it's a way in which it doesn't matter what you think the ideal is. Uh, what's happening is where, where the juices, where the where the story of your life, where the expression of your life is. And how that's going to manifest itself sort of unfolds. Um, and certainly in the Zen school, as we take up the, the paramitas, this wholesome conduct as sila, with the generosity of spirit and patience. Yeah. I was introduced to Buddhism in, uh, well, I was introduced to Buddhism in Japan, but as a practice, a training in Thailand. And in Thailand, uh, there's a very common term, Mai Pen Lai, which means something like, um, no big deal. Um, and it's sort of pervasive through the culture. Like, don't make a big deal out of it. <coughs> Once I was taking a boat trip, um, it was about 12 hours, you know, and I got on early and got myself a little place to sit because I knew the boat was going to become totally crowded. 
and, uh, and then I went to the bathroom and this lady had pushed my backpack into the aisle and taken my seat you know and I said to her well that, that's my seat you know and she started to make a big fuss and and I noticed there was a guy sitting watching the two of us and I to see oh, let's see how you handle this can you practice my pen lie just the way he looked at me just reminded me, okay, don't make a big fuss. So I just gave her the seat and went somewhere else. But that way of looking at our own process, you know, Is, is is whatever you are unfolds in Sashin. No. no big deal. There it is, unfolding. Don't get all caught up in congratulating yourself when you think you're getting it right, getting concentrated or whatever it is you're supposed to get to be. I don't get all caught up when you're getting it wrong, you know. When, when some nagging issue of your life seems to just like be like a fly buzzing around your head, constantly uh, demanding attention. Okay. My pen life. That's how it is right now. That's this state of mind. And, and can that have a kind of quality of generous reassurance? Can your diligence have a generous reassurance to it? In some way, it's very simple. We all just want to be alive. We all just want to be happy and not suffer. Yeah. And then in a normal way, it's mysteriously complex. There's so many influences have come to create us the way we are. Just think of any period of zazen and think of the thoughts, the images, the memories, the anticipations that arose within it. Yeah. How come? How come all that came into being? generous patience. You know, and then in between the two, sila. And sila, or shila, as it is in Sanskrit, it, it's the same root as the word in English of shield. You know, it, it's the conduct, the way of being, that shields us from um, the disruptive afflictions that the mind can create. Yeah. In the Theravadan tradition, yeah, when, when you start a meditation retreat, you, you start by taking five uh, precepts. You know, 
don't kill, don't steal, uh, don't misuse sexuality, um, don't lie, and don't um, abuse intoxicants, or don't use intoxicants. And the notion is that those restraints, restraining from those things, helps support the process of meditation. Hmm. And then within the Zen world, the idea is to structure it in a way that indeed those same, very same restraints are in action. Um, and then there's something more intimate than that, you know? It's like, okay, that's what we refrain from, and then what do we promote? Yeah. And, and how do we promote it? And that's, that's where the notion of being a yogi, a, a skillful involvement in our behaviors, in our feelings, in our thoughts. Yeah. Not just don't do this, but then what, what do we do? And, and that, especially in Shishin, you know, that's the heart of Sila. Yeah. You know, as I've been saying over the last couple of days, each of us brings the body we bring, you know, and each body uh, has its own, at this point in time, its own capacity. You know, and and to f decipher that, you know, what's the best position to sit in? Hmm? As I was saying yesterday, you know, there's a skillfulness in sitting with pain. In this way, it can be helpful, and in this way, it can be harmful. You know? How do we find the right approach to... Uh, our own physical difficulties. How do we find the posture? You know? the, the particulars, the particular alignment of your body, given the condition it's in right now. What's a skillful way to work with the, um, the states of mind that arise for you? And in the Zen world, we call ourselves students because we're here to study these questions. You know? We don't have a preset notion, well, this should turn out like this. Yeah. It, it's it's a, a constant unfolding. Yeah. And and how can that have a durability to it? You know, a way in which. Um, We're constantly renewing. Um, that quote from John O'Donohue, talking about children, you know, living in a forest of first experiences. Yeah. How as we become adults, our mind is so inclined to um, reference this in relationship to what's happened in the past. Mm. 
crafting its own um, shape of now in relationship to what's been happening in the past. And so the inner workings of sila is how do we um, how do we wake up in the middle of that? You know, what, what's what's the what's the skillfulness of that? And and one um, and of course there's endless answers to that question. One response is um, in the realm of practice is the uh, the notion of leaking. You know? Like if you pay attention, you can notice that as you pay attention, there is a. Um, almost like an accumulation of being present. You know, in the morning, after we've sat and walked and sat, almost invariably, we're more present than before we did that. Something has accumulated. And then we go and we eat breakfast and we take a break and we do whatever we do. And does, does whatever we do, does it dissipate that presence or does it preserve it? Yeah. Does that presence leak away? And so the inquiry there, the awareness there, is to watch. You know. what, what do you do on your break? And what, what's the result of that? You know? When you have time to be yourself, unstructured, what, what shape does it take? Yeah. And what's the product of that? Does it happen in a way where body and mind are nurtured? And, and uh, the factors of awakening are promoted, or does it happen in a way where something's dissipated? And, and it's that kind of attention is where we learn the, the more subtle sila, the more subtle ways to protect the awareness we've created, and then the more subtle ways in, in which to be present. Yeah. Like you can watch your mind as you eat your breakfast. Do you stay attentive to the taste, to the chewing? Someone told me that their, their teacher said, every mouthful of food, you should chew it until it has turned into a liquid before you take the next mouthful. I heard one of the Rockefellers, I heard him being interviewed on the radio, and I heard him say that John D. Rockefeller, the head of the clan who made all the money, um, he said, he was his grandson, he said, my grandfather w would constantly tell us, 
to chew everything very well, even the liquids. So, now you know if you want to be fabulously rich, <laughs> chew everything very well. <laughs> and be a robber baron and uh, <laughs> ruthless in your business deals. <laughs> With any anything, you know, even how you eat your breakfast, you know. And, th and then we start to get into like the alchemy of awareness. You know? like if you watch the mind as you engage food, you know as you watch the mind, as you taste food, as you chew it, you know? In some ways, in our conventional world, kind of trivial details. But when we attend to them in the cultivation of awareness, they have something to teach us about sila that which protects awareness and that which promotes awareness. It's very common as we start to eat for the mind to become more active. Like after all that boring zazen, finally something that's fun. And then the mind becomes sort of excited. And then the eating can become self-indulgent. It becomes we're 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 feeding the self. I'm getting what I want. And how that interplays with nourishing. You know? that, that way in which, of course, eating's a necessary part of staying alive. Uh, having an appetite for food is how this body works. Um, but, but as we're looking at it carefully and watching how the, that very activity can dissipate awareness or in another way like each mouthful being itself. a new experience in the forest of experiencing. You know, when I heard about Japanese Zen teachers visiting nursery schools, I remember being puzzled and thinking, because I heard it several times, and I thought, What's the big deal about kids in a nursery school? The big deal about kids in a nursery school is they're all Zen masters. They, they live in this kind of immediacy, you know. And they're not trying to be something they're not, you know. Like when they're upset, they're upset, you know. They're upset completely, and then they're done with it, and they're on to the next thing. Yeah. This, this forest, John O'Donohue's, the children live in a forest of first experiences. Now, how do we cultivate that? 
because that is true. It's only the mind that says, no, this is the same as it was yesterday. And then there's that very interesting way in which that kind of inquiry, curiosity, and involvement, um, it creates a support for consciousness. You know? um, the, whole, the whole process of entering Sashin has these two factors to it. One is stabilization, and then the other one is opening up. stabilization side we, we have um, settling a, a, um, a loosening up of our agitations and distress you know, as we patiently stay present and then on the opening side you know as I was saying yesterday, you know, the way in which we usually cope with our psychological distress, you know, is, is we use psychological defenses. You know, we distract ourselves, we suppress, we compartmentalize, you know, and many other things. Um, so the opening up has, has like a balancing quality to the settling down. Like we settle down and we open up. And, and, and so the opening up can have a kind of disruptive quality to it. And, and as, as we cultivate this attention to awareness, it helps create the support for opening up. We refrain from the ways in which we can undermine our awareness. And we create the support for awareness so that as, as our psychological makeup starts to unfold, um, there is a support for that process. It's not unusual that in Sashin, uh, states of mind, psychological issues, are things that are there in your life. You, th there's the capacity to meet them more fully. And, and often we haven't been meeting them so fully before because they hold for us a particular kind of challenge, a particular kind of unsettling, you know? It, at its most blatant, it's something like, that's a dangerous emotion. If I let myself feel that, who knows what would happen? My world, the harmony, the homeostasis of my world would be disrupted in a reckless way. And almost despite our, ourselves, that can happen in Sashin. And, and the support of Sila um, helps to hold that disruption. The, the, the very steadiness of returning to the breath, returning to the body. Then in the midst of that disruptive experience, the impulse to return to the breath, return to the body. The impulse to experience it for what it is, 
to notice, acknowledge, contact, experience. Sometimes we just get as far as noticing and acknowledging. But even that can be very helpful. Mm. I'm in the midst of an afflictive emotional state. I'm replaying an issue in my life that has a quality of unresolvedness or unfinishedness. And then contact and experience. Can we taste it the way we taste the mouthful of food? No. Can it be an experience rather than a definition of reality? And, and, as, and as that happens, um, you know, when it becomes a momentary experience, uh, there's a shift. When it's a definition of reality, but well, what can you do about reality? Nothing. It's reality. It's nothing to do with me, it's the way it is. When we taste it, when we taste its emotional quality, then we start to see, well, there's a codependent arising. That something in me is meeting an experience and creating response. And that can be worked with. That can be uh, seen as just what's happening now. And then as we watch ourselves, we, we can see there are moments when, when we're in touch with that alchemy of unfolding existence. We, we can literally notice, oh, this came up into consciousness, it was responded to like this, it created this kind of um, disposition, image, memory. And then other times something comes up and it becomes completely solid. It's reality. Then we're separate from it. And to learn from them both. To learn what it's like to move in the alchemy of codependent existence. And to learn what it's like construct a reality that's solid and fixed. Who are you in that reality? What qualities of being? What is the world? What is other in that reality? So even just intellectually acknowledging, oh, then our other is the great protector or the great love I yearn for. Other is the source of affliction, thwarting me, mistreating me.
And then can we return to the breath and return to the sensations in the body and hearing the sounds and seeing the sights. And all this is the structure of sila. You know, we can take refraining from killing, you know. Well, of all the things I've experienced on Shashin, I've never known anyone to kill anyone else. <laughs> I've certainly witnessed lots of drama. <laughs> it's just the inevitable part of human existence. Uh, but on a more subtle level, how do we promote aliveness? You know? as we engage in our practice. And for now I would answer it this way. The inquiry, the curiosity, you know, like whatever it is you're up to, there's something amazing about it. Can there be a curious awareness? What's happening now? As it comes into being, uh, what weight does it have? Does it float? Is it whimsical? Hmm. Is it heavy as a stone? You know, like, oh yeah, that person who did that to me. Ah, how absolutely terrible. No wonder my life's so awful. When we see it for what it is, just a second, let me finish this thought. When we see it for what it is, It has its own kind of sparkle. Hmm, look at that. Look at that thought that's so heavy and carries so much conviction. Yes? It's a question that's pressing upon me. <laughs> and that would be? So there's, there's the awareness mm -hmm. that's arising, but then so are, are, you, are you saying that um, what arises from our unconscious, basically, is somehow purposeful? It's purposefully sent, arises, emerges. Purposely sent? Arises, emerges, gets sent. Um, Is it purpose, does it purposely arise? Well, maybe you could explain what you mean by purposely. I mean, it arises as the product of the causes and conditions of the moment. Okay. I, I, I'm sort of getting, a, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm getting a sense that there's some idea that what arises in those circumstances arises for, you know, like, the, the word healing is coming to my mind. Mm. That there's something that needs to be. The mm. psyche is working through something. The unconscious is working through something. And what, what I was getting at, Eilish, is that sila is the way in which whatever it is, you know, whether it's as mundane as the mouthful of porridge in your mouth. Mm -hmm. 
or as complex uh, as some part of your own psychological conditioning that as it's noticed, acknowledged, contacted and experienced it offers itself up as a teaching yeah. Yeah. and maybe under certain circumstances the teachings around our own psychological makeup but sometimes the teaching is is about the, the nature of being present with what is in, in, in a way we could say you know goes beyond the self-constructs but, but with as we sustain the admonitions of sila whatever it is it has this potential to spark awareness and then also to illustrate its its own being now in our own work inner workings you know how come how come this came up um, I think awareness is emphasizing more what's it like when this comes up rather than offering a, um, a history of causality I mean I, I think that's maybe one of the differentiators between awareness as a, um, a practice of healing versus kind of a, a psychodynamic model that looks at how those factors interplay causally yeah. so literally to keep in mind th this request of sila you know keep noticing, keep acknowledging, keep contacting, keep experiencing. Yeah. And then what it, what's being created is now. And of course our mind in, in an instant, literally, in a fraction of a second can um, declare it's not what should happen or more of this should happen finally I'm getting concentrated or finally I'm letting go of that persistent uh, disposition um, but almost can we not be deterred by what the mind, how the mind responds? Can we still meet the moment? Can we not be distracted by the mind saying good or bad? Yeah. Can we experience what's being experienced? And as we settle into Shishin, you know, we have this um, amazing opportunity to take this on. Yeah. And in our sitting, you know, we, we can look at the subtle details. I mean, within Buddhism and within Zen, so many practices in working with the breath no? and all of them offering some way of accessing and learning from 
this process that's constantly happening in our human existence. From the moment we're born till the last time we breathe out and die. Each process, each technique, making suggestions about how do we contact and experience what's happening. So sila, as we're engaging in that elemental way, and sila, when we're in the throes of the complexities of our own psychological makeup. And sila, in those accidental, coincidental moments, when we land in a clarity, when we land in a palpable presence, you know, can we soak that up too? Can we soak up how, what it is to be no self? arrive on us almost like by accident. Yeah. There's so many Zen stories, you know, where uh, the person's sweeping and the stone hits the bamboo with a crack and the monk wakes up. And this way of engaging enlivens, you know. And, and, and sila is to explore what it is to nurture this enlivening awareness. Yeah. And yet within us, we want to turn the practice into something more arduous and mechanical. No. Maybe we could say we're drawn towards self-sacrifice. Something in my abundant being has to be limited in the service of being present. Well, and it's, it, that notion misses something. And, and one of the things it misses is that when we try to curtail our consciousness like that, it sort of squirts out anyway. Before you know where you are, you're imagining something, you know. You're picking up some old worry or grasping on to some tempting anticipation. It's like, the challenge of awareness is to make now abundant. It's almost like we could say, we make now abundant and the impulse for something else falls away. Yeah. So sila, it has its restraint, it has its admonitions, you know. Don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, don't intoxicate. You know, in in in, in Shishin, you know, we're not going to, we're going to intoxicate with our own thinking and feeling. We're going to get ourselves into a state, or not, if we refrain from it. 
we're going to tantalize with sexual fantasy or not. You know. So the, 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 these are not actual things, but they're more influences that can arise in the mind, in the heart. So. So as we head into the middle of Shashin, to to notice, okay, what what's the um, the strategy of involvement that I'm proposing to myself? And then what is it to live it out, situation by situation? And then I would say, with a sense of curiosity, more than heavy-handed imposition. As I said that, I thought of the first teacher I had in Thailand. And I was in a very strict monastery, but the teacher always looked like he was on holiday. <laughs> it was kind of annoying at times. <laughs> and then other times it just made me laugh. Because you know? I was on anything other than a holiday, let me tell you. <laughs> So to look at that. And then to look at it from the place that each of us is challenged to pick up that kind of involvement according to the person we are, according to what we're working with. And to trust yourself in the process. You know? And when you get it right all the time, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Your mistakes are how you learn. No? So that permission too, the permission to make mistakes. Oh, look at that. <laughs>